0: Welcome to Tiny Voice Talks with me, Toria Bono, and today Tiny Voice is talking about trauma, and I'm talking about trauma today with Sheila Malveni, who I came across on Twitter, and I'm really excited that she's joining me today. So, welcome, Sheila. Hello, hi. So great to have you here. Now, for anyone that hasn't come across Sheila Malveni, who is Sheila Malveni?
1: Okay, it's um, it's funny, isn't it? Because we have sort of so many parts to us, I suppose. um, uh, Things that I I would pick out as being very important in terms of who I am would be that I um, I'm a nur- I was a nurse, I started life as a nurse, so I, re- I have a real kind of interest in well-being and self-care, and you'll know I do quite a lot of tweeting about that because I think it's really important. Mm-hmm. But also, um, I grew up with a sister who has quite significant learning disabilities and physical disabilities, so I suppose that whole concept of inclusion in a society that cares for the vulnerable is also really, really important to me. Um, after I, um, after nursing and health visiting, I went on to train to be a teacher and worked in various schools and then worked also in local authorities as head of the virtual school for children in care. And that kind of, again, uh, made me realize the kind of barriers that some children face in terms of learning and the kind of difficulties, uh, that some children have. And again, that made me, uh, very much all I want I suppose one of the things that drives what I do is sort of supporting the vulnerable and and, and helping schools or foster carers or other adults to support uh, the people, uh, the young children in particular, that are vulnerable. But, you know, I'm also um, a wife and a mother and a grandmother. And that's been quite an interesting experience to be part of my 10 year old grandson's sort of support um, bubble. And seeing him go through this last year has has been quite interesting.
0: So, um, yeah,
1: that's a little bit about
0: me. Busy woman then. Very busy woman. So um, you mentioned you touched on virtual schools. So for anyone listening that's not sure what a virtual school is, can you explain that to us?
1: Yes, of course. We're terrible for kind of uh, jargon and things, aren't we, in education and in social care? Um, uh, it's, uh, I think it was 2010, the government said every local authority had to have somebody that was in post whose job it was to uh, monitor uh, the education of and promote the educa- educational achievement of um, children who were in the care of that local authority. So since then, there has been um, yeah a virtual head in place in every local authority. And um, usually the reason it's a virtual school is because most of those children will be attending real bricks and mortar schools. Um, mm-hmm. But um, they might be in the local authority uh, in which they came into care or they might be living and going to school in another local authority, but it will always be the local authority that is their corporate parent that has the responsibility of kind of tracking and monitoring and supporting um, them right throughout their education, uh, literally from from early years right through to 18 and um, sometimes beyond in terms of, you know, if the child has, if the young person has special educational needs. So um, yeah, big job Their Virtual schools vary from one area to another in terms of their size, but they all share... common remit, which is around um, supporting uh, the education um, of those children and young people.
0: That's really interesting. So let's move on to trauma. Why is trauma so important to you? Well, I suppose it does come
1: from working, um, as I say, as as virtual head in a number of authorities because, you know, you you can see why it is sometimes and, and obviously you know, I will talk about some generalisations, but we do need to remember that every child in care is an individual, their experience is different, the way they respond to things is different. Um, And of course, trauma doesn't just impact children that are in care, but they are, as a group, they're quite an interesting one to look at um, in terms of the way that their attainment is often way, way lower than their peers. Um, And I think in part, you know, the impact of trauma is to to do with that. So it's important to me because I think if if adults in schools and settings had a little bit of understanding about trauma, they would respond to some children differently. So, um, for example, one of the impacts of trauma, um, particularly trauma that is prolonged and repeated and inescapable and happens when the child's brain is just developing. So if we think about a situation perhaps where a child is exposed to abuse or neglect, um, domestic violence, all those kind of adverse childhood experiences that we talk about. If that's happening when the brain is developing, then it's kind of not rocket science to realise that could have quite a major impact. And one of the impacts, and obviously we haven't time today to go into it in in, in massive detail, but to to kind of give a fairly simple approach, if a child is growing up when their little developing brain is just bathed all the time in overwhelming um, kind of doses of stress hormone, then that can impact the neural pathways that, that they develop. So essentially in schools, there'll be some children where they become, because of that, those early experiences of toxic stress, they become hyper alert to kind of threat. So they will be um, used to not feeling very safe. And so anything that, that kind of clicks into that, I don't feel safe um, uh, feeling that they have, will effectively kind of stimulate a bit of a survival response so in much the same way if I asked you to do something that made you absolutely terrified then actually they'll respond in that way but it might be something really ordinary like doing some work they find difficult like sitting next to someone that they don't that, that, that they're afraid of or they don't like like mm. um standing up in the class um like maybe being on the playground so it'll be to very ordinary things, but it'll have quite a major over-the-top over reaction. And in the same way, if you were faced with something that you find quite frightening, you would often react in what other people would think of as quite an irrational way. And I think this is what we see with children that have experienced trauma in classrooms. Um, we see, You know, it's, it's not all the children, um, but there'll be those children who, you know, all, all the staff are aware they just don't respond like the other children. So um, that's why I feel... That adults need to have an understanding of that because if, for example, a child is a young person is faced with doing something that really quite makes them quite afraid, maybe afraid of, of humiliation because they don't get it right, uh, then then they may disengage from the task because that's what feels protective to them. And if, say, an adult comes along and kind of you know is quite um, kind of authoritative in their response and says, "Come on, you know, get on with the work," which might work really well for lots of other children it might actually increase their stress mm. and then they'll go from that disengaged to maybe being quite aggressive or maybe leaving the classroom. Whereas actually if someone went along and said, look, I can see you struggling with this, I'll give you you know, a few minutes and then I'll come back, um, then you might get quite a different uh, response. So that's kind of a, a, a little nutshell, but obviously it's a, it's a huge topic and I'm not pretending either to be an expert or to be able to put it across accurately in a, in a few minutes kind of thing. Yeah.
0: No, your, the way you put it across is it's, it, it explains it so very well. I feel. And we, before we um, actually started recording, we were chatting about perceived threats, and I was talking to you about my my irrational fear of heights that I can't, I can't get my head around because I don't want to be scared of heights. Yet I actually get a physical um, response whenever I, well, whenever I'm up on a height, but also when I'm looking up at a height or indeed watching a height on a television and I get a response through my feet. And you said that actually physical responses are very normal when a perceived threat occurs, even within the classroom.
1: Yes. I mean, if we think how we respond when we feel stressed, our heart rate goes up, our tummy might feel quite tense. You know, it it is a very physical thing. And I think sometimes, um, and in fact, we don't always talk about stress much in relation to children but i think that's a really good way to frame it if they're in a position excuse me where they feel stressed and then um often as the adults around them need to do things to reduce the stress yet so often uh some behavior policies would would do things that um increase the stress like you know maybe telling the child off, maybe putting their name on the board, maybe d- doing things that, again, other children will manage well, but, but children yeah. that have experienced trauma uh, won't manage so well, and that will increase the stress and be more likely then to see this kind of cascading, spiralling upwards situation, uh, which is which is sad because actually what they need are people that can help them manage that stress. If I can make one more point about that is that, um, you know, no child, yeah. is, no baby is born able to regulate or soothe themselves. They learn that through years of being picked up and soothed and regulated by an adult. And, of course, if the children haven't had those good attached relationships and experienced that, and it kind of, it's not always the case, but, you know, there is a strong likelihood that if, if they've experienced some of the adverse childhood experiences that, you know, we've talked about, like, um, you know, abuse, neglect, those kind of things, but then actually there is a strong likelihood that they maybe haven't had the strong attachments that they needed to learn to regulate their emotions, and if a child can't regulate, then what they need is a calm adult with them to help them regulate. So, as soon as an adult becomes kind of uh, invested in this situation because they want compliance, does that make sense? Then actually, that yeah. will just cause much greater stress. Um, and I would always say, when it's becoming a battle, is it, you know everyone's going to lose, no one wins out of that kind of situation. I think where we try to enforce compliance whereas if you could see if this child is stressed this young person is stressed what can i do to reduce the stress then we might get very different outcomes in terms of the behavior of the young person
0: i really like that what can i do to reduce the stress so where do i mean you met you touched on behavior policies a moment ago and many behavior policies have rewards and um I hate the word punishments, but I can't think of the other word at the moment, Um, but that they have those embedded within them. Where does that sit then with regards to trauma and behaviour that's developed out of trauma?
1: Well, my view would be, and, and as I say, I mentioned before, you know, I think looked after children have all experienced a trauma in terms of the loss they faced simply through coming into care. Mm. But, you know, there are loads of children who would not be so clearly identified. I mean, some are identified in terms of being children that need, child protection, um, and then a whole host who won't have come to the attention of, um, you know, social care yet. And may also have other issues like SEN issues, ASD, ADHD, those sorts of things. To my mind, it's about reasonable adjustments. Um, You know, we now know that trauma in the very early years can have a significant impact on the way the brain develops. So I think um, we have to see it as, you know, these children on a given day, and sometimes every day, to be fair, um, will, you know, it's more that they can't do what they're being asked to do at that moment in that class with that person at that time, not that they won't. Now, that's not to say that on other occasions, they won't do it because they're children, and there's all sorts of reasons, children and young people, there's all sorts of reasons why, why they won't. But I think if we can get into the world, maybe there's a reason why you're not doing this. Um, Another example I sometimes, if you'd had a terrible day at work um, and um, sure that never happens, but you know, yeah, terrible day at work and then the car wouldn't start and something happened and you walked into the house and (laughs) slammed the door because you were just feeling, you know, really frustrated. And if your husband, partner said to you, excuse me, can you just go out and come in again? Because that's not how we come into the house. Yeah. Um, You know, in my house, there'd be murder. (laughs) Let's be clear about that. (laughs) Um, because actually what you want yeah. from that person is to say, "Are you okay?" And yet what we do is you know we're focusing on the behavior on what you did the slamming the door or whatever not on that my goodness there must be something the matter for you to be doing that yeah um and I think if we just have that approach of con
0: no, I was going to say that when you said that, something that triggered in my head was actually when I walk into the house, okay, this isn't necessarily the right thing to say, but I'm walking into a, a space where I feel safe and I feel mm. able to just be me and relax, and, and therefore, I feel able to go, oh, my God, what a day or whatever else, although I'd never have bad yeah. days at work. And, you know, it's, <laughs> I, and actually sometimes those children coming into the classroom that is their safe space. They're walking into a place that they feel that they can just, their re- shoulders can relax and they can just go, wow. Even
1: absolutely though right.
0: that might not be the appropriate response at that moment in time.
1: Yeah, no, I think absolutely right. And I think um, ju- just going back to another point of I might, when we said about kind of physical mm. symptoms associated oh, yeah. with stress, you know how in a lot of primary schools, you get a little crew of children, won't you, at, at break time, you know, with a pain in their head and a pain in their tummy and a pain in their little finger sometimes I think they just can't articulate to us that they're feeling anxious or stressed that they don't cope with the Mm. playground well and they just haven't the ability to tell us and I know lots of schools are very wise and nurturing in how they handle those children um, but I do think um, that sometimes they, they they will tell us children will tell us and young people will tell us they just always they won't always tell us in a way that is appropriate um but actually even as the well-functioning emotionally mature adults like you say sometimes we don't do I mean you know uh, it's fairly appropriate what you said you did, but you know sometimes we're not able to go in and say please make me a cup of tea I've had an awful day sometimes we just dump our bags down (laughs) let off a few expletives (laughs) even as the mature Mm -hmm. you know well-regulated adults as it were yeah so and another big point I think to take to remember is And I've sat in so many personnel education plan meetings where everyone around the table agrees that this child, whatever their academic um, and cognitive levels might be, that when it comes to social and emotional development, they're usually way behind their chronological age. They're at a different developmental stage, sometimes Mm -hmm. by years. And we've sat around and we've had these discussions that, you know, this This 10 year old in terms of their social and emotional development is probably more like a five year old, but then we've expected them to go out and behave like all the other 10 year olds or sit in the classroom and behave like all the other 10 year olds. When what we've just said is actually they're probably not able to do that. And I think that's about us then putting children and and young people. It happens all the way up. You know, it's not just primary schools um, in a position of massive stress because how stressful it must be when people are constantly expecting you to do things that you're maybe not able to do. I mean, that must
0: be just horrible, mustn't it? Completely. So what place do schools have then in dealing with trauma? How, what recommendations would you give?
1: Okay, well, I think the first is, I think um, every adult needs to have some understanding of trauma because this won't affect every child in the school um, unless it's a very specific sort of school, in which case I'm sure staff have had very specific training. Um, But it will probably affect some. And I think the way to spot them, it was a comment you made when we were chatting before, That, you know, there's usually a couple in the class or maybe just a couple in every other class where they just don't respond in the way that the other children do to any of Mm. the strategies that are put in place, any of the um, kind of rewards and sanctions frameworks and things like that. And I think, you know, they're the ones to start noticing. And I think it's a reasonable assumption to think, well, maybe they've had some trauma. You're not going to do any harm by assuming that because we're not asking you to be therapists what we're asking um, staff in schools is to have an understanding that this child, uh, this young person, may need slightly different um, management treatment um, in terms of the classroom. Not, not, as I say, not not treatment, not in, in, that, in that kind of sense um, than their peers because they have needs that their peers doesn't don't have. And actually, that's about us making reasonable adjustments. If they had something that was visible, um, we would adjust things to, to meet their needs um and i think it is well within the gift of any school to be able to make reasonable adjustments with any behavior policy unless it's one of these ones where this always happens 100% of the times which i think can really work against children that have these kind of additional needs and i think just to understand that sometimes they won't behave like their peers and our job is to work out uh why you know what is the stress at that point um and over a longer period of time develop relationships because what we know makes a huge difference you mentioned it before about often this is a the place they feel safe you know relationships mm. are absolutely central to this and then once there are those close relationships using those relationships to help the child develop the skills that they need so for example to to, to talk to them to teach them about the world of emotions because emotions are incredibly scary if you can't manage them you know if we was like you were talking about your your fear you heights, if we were to, you know, when you're put in that position, it's a really unpleasant feeling. So learning to kind of manage those emotions, teaching them maybe some simple breathing techniques or some other regulation activities, um, giving them opportunities within the classroom to maybe regulate by just staying in the classroom because they might have a really good relationship with the class teacher. But, you know, giving them a few minutes just to sit quietly or to do something else, like to maybe sit and do some kind of colouring or something that would help them regulate until they're in a position to get back to work. Because this is all about us um, getting them to the point where they can learn. And I think so often in some schools, and I stress some schools because we have some wonderfully nurturing trauma, sensitive trauma responsive schools, um, but sometimes the things we put in place actually keep them from learning from a lot, for a lot longer.
0: Yeah that makes, it makes so much sense. I'm nodding along as you're speaking. And now I was told (laughs) when I first became an NQT, um, I was told that I wasn't allowed to smile at the children and, um, and that I needed, you know, I wasn't to be their friend. It was, uh, you don't smile until Christmas and don't be their friend. Now, That surely, you know, I've got to be honest and say I'm quite long in the tooth now. I've been in teaching quite some time and I've discovered that actually not smiling at children and not being their friend isn't necessarily terribly conducive to building those relationships you talk about. So what advice would you give to NQTs dealing with children, you know, that are coming into the profession? Yeah, I mean,
1: I would say, um, smile. <laughs> I don't, I mean, I think we have different concepts of friendship, but I think um, of friendship, but I definitely think we want to build relationships with children. I think children learn better when they are in a classroom where they feel safe. And one of the things that makes them feel safe is having a good relationship with the adults in the room. So I would say definitely, we need to be equipping um, newly qualified teachers mm. with that kind of information. I mean, I think, as we said before, we're not talking usually about whole classes here. So all the strategies that you are taught uh, as a as a new teacher about, um, you know, delivering good lessons, you know, quality teaching, making sure it's got the right pace, making sure it's differentiated, kind of, you know, um, feeling like, um, well, uh, making sure the children feel like you are in control of the room because that actually makes everybody feel quite safe. But being aware that some children are going to need a little bit of different handling. If we just go back to talk about attachment for a moment, if children haven't had the kinds of quality attachments that we would have wished for them to have, then they will come. Those, those that need for attachment, which is a huge need for children. I mean, that's how they develop um, the ability to have relationships. And, and the more research we're doing, the more we're finding out the impacts of not having those good attachments. If they haven't had enough of those at home, then actually those needs don't disappear. And effectively, they come into school wanting attachment. Now, that might come across as wanting attention, but really what they're wanting is that relationship. And unless we unless we give it to them, and we've probably all seen this, they will up the ante because that is a huge driving need, way important in learning. I need to make sure that Miss has got me or Sir has got me. Yeah, and they're going to notice me and they're going to look after me and they're going to help me feel safe. And that's quite a sort of, I want to say almost a primitive drive, you know, because that's how babies are born. They are driven to get adults to claim them and have those attached relationships because otherwise they wouldn't survive. So it's a pretty powerful kind of driver. So I think, um, I think, uh, for NQTs to understand the centr- centrality of relationships. Now, some children won't take it up as much because they don't need it, but some children, this is like, it's their lifeblood within the classroom. And I don't think they will learn until they feel safe. And they probably won't feel safe until they they know that the teacher has a relationship with them. And if we think about how we develop relationships, well, things like smiling are really important. Things like spending time, things like remembering things about the children, not just their name, but the bits they like, you know, that think knowing... Well, when you can do things at the weekend, knowing what they might have done at the weekend, and saying, you know, oh, how did that go? Was this good? And to me, that's vitally important. So I think an understanding of attachment and an, an, an understanding—and we're only talking about a fairly minimal understanding of trauma for everybody in the school—I think is vital. I don't know why it doesn't come into um, teacher training. I mean, I have delivered some training for um, some of the you know initial teacher training courses, but not nearly enough, I would say. <laughs> is that okay?
0: Completely. Yes, absolutely. Um, no, I think what you're saying about having an understanding of a trauma, having an understanding of attachment, that we don't need to be, you know, sort of able to deliver lectures on it, but we have to have enough an understanding that when we are seeing a child display with signs of stress in our classroom, we're able to have an understanding about how to deal with them now we've mentioned um rewards yeah. and and um, sanctions but are stickers valuable or not in the in the face of trauma will a child benefit from being mm-hmm. offered a sticker i think if you just put yourself into a position where you were asked
1: to do so i, I mean some days they might some days some tasks if the threat is very small then actually it might be that they do. Yeah. So that, that it. And if they've got a good relationship with the teacher and they know that maybe they'll get some support on the way through, then, then it might. So I wouldn't completely say, I wouldn't say never. However, if you put yourself in a position of doing something that you would really find difficult, um, the, 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 the thing I mentioned to you, Tori, before was, you know, being asked to hold a snake or a spider if you don't like them, then actually, you know, if you really feel scared about what you're going to do would a sticker made it make a difference would the threat of a detention make a decision and depending on your level of threat and fear it probably wouldn't yeah so so that's the thing deciding is this a big threat for that child and remember this is a child young person who probably can't regulate that scared response most of us manage to regulate that most of the time unless it's something we're very very afraid of yeah because we'll all have times when, I don't know, when you go to an interview, if you go to a situation where you don't know anybody and that's something that you find hard we're, we're used to managing and regulating those emotions. It's only when it's um kind of very big that we struggle. But, you know, for children that have experienced um, issues with trauma, then actually it can be very small things that trigger that response because effectively that's how they've lived. They've lived um, pretty constantly, probably feeling under threat. Um And I think, you know... It's hard to to get our heads around sometimes the the damage that must occur if you are from your very earliest years growing up, feeling afraid or unloved or being hurt. Um, You know, that's huge stuff, isn't it, really? Yeah. Um, So I think um, I would never I I wouldn't say it can never work. I would say um, that some of the issues that children face are far bigger. And something that can be sorted out with a sticker, or, or indeed a sanction.
0: So many great points there; There really are. I have got lists written down in my notebook now, all about trauma, attachment, calm adults, and just the signs to look after. And I really out for, and I really like can't, not, won't. Really, yeah. Page of information for myself. So, as you know, Sheila, I always finish with the same question, which is, if. You could have been taught by anyone, living or dead. Who would have been your perfect, perfect teacher? Um, They don't have to be a
1: teacher, do they, if that makes sense? No, not at all. No, okay. Well, I did struggle a bit with this, um, but I think I have decided on a guy named Henry Fraser who... um, I'll just tell you very briefly about him. He was a young guy, uh, went to Dulwich College. He's got a brilliant Instagram account and has written a couple of books. And when he was 17, he was a gifted artist and also, I think, a gifted rugby player. He was 17, went to Portugal, dived in the sea and effectively um, broke his neck and was then paralysed um, from the neck down. And he um, he's now, that was probably 12 years ago, but he is a brilliant mouth artist and um Just such an empowering bloke. So, you know, he's he has t-shirts made that say, concentrate on what you can do, can't not what you can't, says the guy who can't move below the neck. And he's just such a great Mm. example of, I suppose, human adaptability, but also he's very real about the emotions. And he talks about the fact that when he was first um, paralyzed he well he says he spent two years in tears I'm sure that's not uh, absolutely correct but you know he he, he had to mourn for what he lost before he could adapt and move on and I just um yeah I'd urge everyone to follow him he's a great guy he gives you a pickup every day yeah whenever he posts it's kind of something really positive and uplifting and he does great uh,
0: art as well so he would be my guy I love that and the adaptability he has shown as you say is just right. phenomenal Sheila, you have been a delight to talk to. You really have. And I feel I've learned so much. And I'm sure our listeners will be nodding along going, yes, yeah, you know, this is such a great podcast for anyone that isn't too sure about trauma and what it looks like in the classroom environment. So thank you so much for coming along and chatting to me. Thank you for having me here. Yeah,
1: it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you.